Hi, welcome to Notes from the Road. I'm your host, Evan Peary. I've spent more than a decade on tour with acts like Pentatonix, Dan and Shay, and Andy Minio. And I've slept everywhere from tour buses and floors to one-star hotel rooms and 15-passenger vans. My goal with this podcast is to provide a window into the side of touring life you don't see on Instagram or MTV. The behind-the-scenes, nitty-gritty tales of comedy, chaos, and camaraderie. Every episode, I'll be speaking with a different touring professional I've met along the way, giving them the opportunity to tell their story of how they got started, where they're headed, and everything else in between. This episode, I'm joined by Kurt Ozen, who's played with Jana Kramer, Michael Ray, and Luke Combs. Kurt, a South Florida native and Berkeley grad, has a different take on breaking into the music industry. He opted to learn as many instruments as possible and find a passion in each of them, ultimately leading to success in Nashville. We discuss the importance of diversity in playing styles, professionalism first, and how essential being a team player can be at times. This is Notes from the Road with Kurt Ozen. Welcome to Notes from the Road. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Evan. I'm glad to have you, Kurt. It's uh, you were on my you were on my list of people that I'd love to talk to you about um, the journey we've all been on as uh, musicians and crew over the years of touring because um, I feel like we met uh, I mean three summers ago are we three has it been three summers I think it's I think been three so. yeah um, Kurt and I met uh, when I was working for Dan and Shay and he was playing with Michael Ray mm-hmm. um, Kurt is a multi-instrumentalist is that fair to say Yes. Is that a good deal? Yeah, like that? Great. I got that term right, right? Yeah. It's perfect. Kurt's a multi instrumentalist. Um, and the craziest thing I remember finding out about him that summer was he's also a Berkeley grad. That's right. Yeah. Um, so take me back to um, obviously before you got on tour and on the road and traveling, et cetera, uh, there had to be an interest and then a point where you p- played music and then it took you to Berkeley School of Music, College of Music. Sorry, I've been corrected on that. Uh, remember, I told you Matt in Pentatonics, also a Berkeley grad. He correct, oh, right on. He hard corrected me one time. College of Music, College oh, of Music, because yeah. I called it school, and he got jokingly mildly offended. And it was great. Well, the guys in in Luke's band make fun of me for going to Berkeley, so I don't bring it up too often. I guess sometimes, but um, I guess my journey begins with like the rest of us. Uh, started playing when I was a kid, and uh, when I was a little. Just starting out, and I was like 10, I was like, I want to be the best guitarist ever. I remember telling it to my mom, and she said it was, well, you have to be better than Jimi Hendrix or Mark Knopfler. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> That's and, some big shoes. Yeah, I know, right? And um, I was very fortunate to have um, parents that were very encouraging, and so they sure. were always paying for my guitars and guitar lessons and drive me to my weekly lessons, so... Um, and so you did, you took lessons because oh, you know yeah. how there's plenty of people that just kind of learn by ear or from, you know, in our era's case, tabs yeah. on the internet. <laughs> well, um, I, I was definitely very fortunate to have parents that supported me and I, anything I've ever done in music that's worth talking about is just because of them, I think. Cool. So before Berkeley, there was uh, Aaron Labos and Ron Lighty and Fritz teaching me guitar lessons like all my guys growing up cool and where was that uh south florida all right yeah yeah and uh so then i was playing guitar constantly um and then you know by the time i'm junior senior in high school it's like everyone's applying to colleges and stuff so right i just kind of 
asked around what was the best school to go to and I just heard it was Berkeley, so I decided that's where I needed to go. Yeah, I mean, fam- famously at this point, and plenty, <clears throat> plenty of other guitar sort of uh, legend virtuosos of, for, of their time have have been products of that school, or went for a short period and left ahead of time. Yeah, John Mayer, I'm mm-hmm. sure you're talking about. Yeah, yep, yep. Well, and also, uh, um, what's his name? Dude, that plays in Maroon Five. Adam Levine? Uh, no, the actual guitar, oh. the the like lead guitarist. He, they, him, and Mayer were like uh, contemporaries. And then same, there's a dude in Zach Brown's band. Oh yeah, also, Clay like, Cook. Those dudes are all kind of contemporaries of of that era of Berkeley. I know that. So like, pretty amazing. They like how often does an actual Berkeley grad make it to an arena touring level? Like it can't. That percentage can't be that high. I'm sure there's plenty of everybody that comes out of that school has some type of working musical job, but. Um, Anyway, I cut you off. So junior year, senior year of high school. Um, And so I decided I wanted to audition. And and at this point, I was just like playing rock. I was like a rock guitarist. Um, Didn't play any country. I played some blues, no jazz or anything. But I played Flight of the Bumblebee (laughs) as my audition piece and uh, a Dream Theater song. So I was like really into shred. And uh, got in and did like the scholarship audition and everything and was able to get some scholarship, which helped a lot. And uh, but w- I didn't go there thinking like I wanted to work for famous artists or different things. I just knew that I wanted to play guitar. So it was kind of like right. In hindsight, I think I maybe should have had a better plan. Luckily, it worked out to where I'm working now. But I mean, but what I mean, I think back to 17 years old. We all thought we had it figured out, but we didn't. Oh, Let's yeah. be real. Nobody had it figured out. It, coming out of high school or junior senior year of high school so to at least have a passion in your life at that point which was the guitar you know you could focus on something think about all your friends they didn't even have that they didn't go i want to go to school for this for this specific thing i've actually been told that i'm very fortunate because i am lucky to have that kind of goal or passion that could help direct my life i guess yeah so uh, I do agree. That's a really good point. But. And like you just said, a supportive family that was that yeah. wasn't trying to squash your dream. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely times where you know where I was just like ended up waiting tables and stuff. I'm sure my parents were like, "Ooh," <laughs> but you know, it worked out. But so, tell me about that process of Berkeley, because you know, like obviously now I'm privy to a person who went for um, you know the voice. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. like Matt in Pentatonix, he went, that was his instrument, his voice. Um, What was that like to be a guitar student at Berkeley? You know, like what, what did, so coming in, you just said you're, you played mostly traditional rock and roll. Like that's what you were interested in. But like, what does that, how does that change as you kind of get through four years of an actual music school? Well, Berkeley is incredible because there's like 60 something guitar teachers and they're all, so different and they're all so much better than you (laughs) and it it really is whatever you want it to be Mm -hmm. you can make it that if you want to come in playing you know your regular rock stuff and then that's all you want to do then you could do that okay um for me i came in and i saw all these guys that were playing stuff that i didn't know how to do and i was like i have to do that okay and so like when i got in you know i had really long hair and i was playing like my seven string metal guitar and stuff like that and but then i saw these guys playing jazz and i was like that is so cool like i have to so i spent years trying to learn how to do that mm-hmm. and um 
I mean, I, you know, I heard there's, I took lessons with like a funk guitar teacher or blues and trying, just trying to learn everything. Right. Learn slide guitar. Um, I like, I really just try to be a sponge and soak up as much as you can. Like, I played everything from like in like jazz ensembles. I played in like a klezmer music ensemble. What does that even, I don't even know what that it's means. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, think of like traditional Jewish sounding music. And oh, stuff okay. Like that. Cool. Um, and I got in that class completely by accident, which is really funny. But uh, I signed up for a jazz ensemble. I'll tell you a story real quick. But yeah. And at Berkeley, you have levels. Like you're rated on your ability to read or improvise on like one through eight. So this jazz ensemble was rated level five, which is like where my jazz musicianship was then. Okay. So I, I took this class hoping to be playing jazz music with kids at my similar level. And we got there, and the first day, the teacher's like, oh, this is the Klezmer Music Ensemble. And everyone in the room just kind of laughed. Right. And the teacher's like, no, seriously, like, this is the Klezmer Music Ensemble. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. Here, he passed out the charts, and it was like, what is this? <laughs> and there was like, you know, clarinets, and some people knew about it, you right. know, that were playing it. And I ended up getting an, a different jazz ensemble, but I kept the classroom music also, which okay. is super fun. But but do you think that that diversity has helped you now in like a current state oh, of playing the guitar sure. and just understanding where you fit into a mix of whatever you're playing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the way I've been able to find work in town in Nashville nowadays is mm-hmm. kind of being the guy that can do, you know, a little bit of everything. So, and when I was at Berkeley, that's kind of what I was doing too. I was taking slide guitar classes or, you know, playing in prog rock bands or jazz or just whatever I could could do. And uh, when I came to Nashville, it seemed like there was a void there of people that could like, could play steel guitar and could play, you know, banjo and, and also double on guitar or sing BGBs or whatever. Sure. So um, I just remember when I was in school wanting to be a versatile player. Just yeah. And then how, what what's that progression look like into, because you do play a little bit of everything, you know, multi, truly multi-instrumentalist at this point. So how do you, I mean, they're all stringed instruments, like that's the commonality, but like how do you jump from playing the guitar to playing the banjo and then playing lap steel or playing slide guitar? Like, is it all, does your brain absorb those the same or did you have to like relearn kind of everything? Um, one thing that really helped me and, Everyone learns things differently. Um, I've always been a very schooled guy. Like I always had lessons and gone to school. So I approach things from like a very like academic way mm-hmm. where I, when I bought a pedal steel guitar, I sat down. I'm like, well, if I push these A and B pedals, it brings this E chord to an A chord and it raises this B a whole step up to a C sharp. So therefore, if I put the bar on the second fret, like that A becomes a B. So now I could play like my <clears throat> one, four, five progression. And like I get like kind of like music theory has like helped me be able to pick up different instruments and play them faster. Yeah, then yeah. it would be then like sitting down and doing trial and error till I can oh I I recognize that sound mm-hmm. doing it completely by ear. Um, because they right they say that to play pedal steel you kind of have to be a little out there because there's a lot going a lot more going on than one two hands you have knees and yeah. like two feet going at once right am i wrong no you're right yeah i think yeah definitely still guitar players are always a little weird i think um it's just such a like a niche instrument i guess but um but being versatile in my studies in school definitely helped me pick up different instruments yeah 
Um, and uh, having that theory bass helps me like switch from if I'm playing one song on electric guitar, like in Luke's set, I might play a song in an open D flat, like open D major, down a half step tuning. And then a song, another song in the set is in, I'm playing a mandolin in D. So it's like D flat open tuning to D mandolin tuning. It's like, it can be kind of confusing. Yeah, like I, I, my, my, I know my brain doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. It would, it would take a long, 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 long time to even try and come close to just that the the wave that you're able to just ride in a show and play multiple instruments in completely different tunings. So yeah, and part of it is muscle memory. You know, I've played the set a hundred times, but right. Um, also, for those people listening, um, Kurt now plays for Luke Combs. He he made a transition from when I met him playing with Michael Ray uh, here in Nashville to um, now playing for Luke Combs, who in his own right becoming a country superstar, fantastic kind of initial record, and now has just been building a you know pretty big fan base. You guys are playing some big shows lately, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Luke's crushing it. It's fun to be along on that ride. Uh, uh, well, so to jump back to, so coming out of Berkeley, and then how, how do you, did you, were you able to find somebody to play with coming out of Berkeley or, you know, like how did you land in Nashville? Like what's the, what's that trajectory look like, like post Berkeley life? So I graduated Berkeley and I stayed living in Boston and I, I loved Boston. Mm-hmm. And I told my parents, like, when I moved there, like, I'm going to live here forever because I just thought it was the greatest. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big jump to go from South Florida where, like, oh, the yeah. weather is pretty... I always uh, hated the hot Florida. You did hate oh, the Florida. Yeah. Okay. And then you go to Boston where, like, you actually have seasons and it's great. Um, but after I graduated, then it was kind of like, all right, well, now what do I do? And I had a, I had a pretty cool teaching job. So I was teaching a lot of lessons and playing weddings I was also delivering food on my bicycle for a sushi restaurant. Okay. And, you know, bar, you know, bartending or waiting tables and stuff like that. And I did that for a couple of years after I graduated. And it's just kind of like I wasn't really getting anywhere. I was just kind of staying in the same place. And so I thought it's time to look for something new. Um, I don't want to be playing weddings when I'm like 80 years old. Fair. And uh, I had some friends that were doing well in Nashville and so eventually I decided to come check it out. But how I ended up deciding on checking out Nashville is kind of a funny story because one of my teachers at Berkeley, he's like, hey, man, your touch on the guitar is is off. Like there's something wrong with like the way you're – you lack subtlety in your guitar playing, which I think is a nice way of saying like you kind of suck. But um, <laughs> And uh, Kevin Barry, super great guitar player, and he was really, really right. He's like, your vibrato is all weird. He's like, why don't you try playing some acoustic guitar? Because I was at this point, my guitar playing, I was mainly just playing electric. Right. So I went and posted on Facebook, and I was like, hey, who are some good acoustic guitar players that I should check out? And a friend of mine, his dad, Don, was like, hey, you should check out uh, Doc Watson. Okay. So, and I did, and I was like, I love this music. And that was my first taste of bluegrass music that I okay. ever heard. And it had all like the, you know, awesome playing of like that I loved in jazz, well, the cool guitar playing and stuff. But it was just a more accessible, and it moved me in a more emotional way. Mm-hmm. And I love all the vocal harmonies; is just the best. Well, and to go back to what your teacher said, I would assume because I've only been around bluegrass a little bit, but there's so much subtlety. There's so much subtlety in what they all like. Any, you know, sometimes you're playing around one microphone, 
everybody. Right. So like the subtleties of when to be real quiet and when to you when you need to speak up, if you will, on the guitar. Yeah. But and also keep in mind, I was like, I played Dream Theater coming into my audition, <laughs> so not very the most subtle music, really. But mm-hmm. um, so I got into bluegrass music through that little Facebook thing, right? And then that's when I started learning other instruments is through bluegrass because I heard Doug Watson playing like claw hammer banjo, and I was like, wow, I need to learn how to do that. That'd be a fun hobby, <laughs> you know. And then next thing I know, I'm like playing banjo you know, with Luke and stuff, which is crazy. Yeah. But then, then I heard Jerry Douglas and I thought, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've one, ever heard. One of the greatest, if not the greatest oh, of, for sure. of his generation, for sure. So for anyone that's listening, um, there's a, here's a song called We Hide, We Seek. And um, and I just heard this Dobro playing on it and I, I never heard guitar sound like that before. So I pulled out my regular guitar and tried to play it and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then my teacher, Kevin Barry, was like, oh, no, it's a dobro. It's a completely different instrument. Well, then I went and bought a dobro. So now I had a dobro and a banjo. <laughs> and then next thing I knew, I was visiting Nashville, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And beer, you could buy a beer for $2 back then. And I thought that was great, you know, when I was paying $6 in, in Boston. Right. And, uh, and I decided I'm going to make the move down here. And I had friends that were playing for, like, Gary Allen and stuff at the time. And I'm like, well... I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah. And sort of my backup plan was I also went to Belmont for my master's there. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And um, spoiler alert, I haven't finished it yet, <laughs> but I will someday, Mom. Also not surprised of that, I guess I should say, because you're a busy man these yeah. days. Okay. Uh, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but so I moved here uh, and I started going to school and started meeting people. And, um, and I have my friend Mitch White who's a drummer who also went to Berkeley. And he was like, I was like, hey, man, how do you like, he was playing for a Gary Allen. I'm like, how do you get on a gig like that? That's so cool. He's like, man, I think that you could do like the utility guy thing where it's like you kind of play a couple of the different instruments because, mm-hmm. you know, an artist, if they have banjo on one song, they're not going to bring a banjo player out to play one song in the set. Sure. So, so I said, okay. So I started practicing dobro a lot more and banjo and stuff. And then that's, been kind of like my way, my foot in the door a lot. Yeah. Um, so, but so then what was the transition into actually getting to tour or travel or play here in Nashville? Like what, what was that from that point? So you, you, you set yourself up to, um, be able to walk in a room and not just play the guitar or the electric guitar or the acoustic, like you, you set yourself up for that. So like, where, where do we, where do we meet Michael Ray in that? Or what was before that? Cause I mean, obviously I, I met you when you were already well established with those guys um so for me i kind of figured out like this is what i'm gonna do and, and i had a goal like when i first graduated college i was just kind of playing guitar for fun and playing like didn't really have a goal of what i want to do with my music but after i talked to mitch about it he that gave me like a something to aspire to mm-hmm. and i'm gonna be that you know utility guy in the band yeah so then i ended up buying Mitch said, he's like, you should either play fiddle or steel also. Because usually band had, so I, I went out and bought both. I bought a fiddle <laughs> and a steel. Okay. And I remember one summer I'd wake up and I would practice steel for a couple hours and then I'd practice fiddle for a couple hours. And I got nowhere on the fiddle. I the, <laughs> I, know, I know the fingerboard because it's the same as mandolin, but I just haven't got the bowing down yet. Yeah. But um, I bought a steel 
partly because I heard a La Love It tune that had steel on it that I thought was so great. My so my roommate who is Jason Isbell's guitar tech um, oh, also cool. also worked for Lyle's band for a little bit. Um, he just also sat down with me. So somewhere in the mix of Kurt hearing Kurt, you might have heard Michael already. Um, Michael has played me. He's like, this is one of the best lap steel song. I can't think of the song off the top of my head, but like he he has in his music some of the like greatest. Oh, for sure, lap steel playing. Yeah, um, Gary, uh, who played on Luke's record, also plays for Lyle sometimes. So small world, but yeah, well, but we're he- but not here in Nash- small town, little bit town, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I the Lyle Lovett song that really inspired me was there was. I was learning for a, a gig, um, if I had a boat, which is like one of his big songs. That, yeah, he's played that. That that might be the song that he's played. Really? Yeah, and it just had this super simple steel solo, but it's so beautiful and it added so much to the song. I thought I could do that. You know, it didn't seem super complicated. It's mm-hmm. not like some Brad Paisley like barn burner tune. It's like right. It's like, but I but for, for me as a listener who is not as versed in, I mean, country music overall, but then the playing of lap steel i love the like sweet subtle like that whole first big stapleton record all of that stuff is so subtle and well done and not not like like that like traditional country lap steel like country country lap steel like that like wide open where there's like breathing room in what you're playing i love that me too yeah and so i thought maybe if i could just get play a couple like scale passages or just add Mm -hmm. some color then I'd use that on some sessions or something. Sure. And then next thing I know, like I'm playing steel guitar at like the Grand Ole Opry. Like, how did I end up doing that? <laughs> yeah, and um, that's recent, right? I see right behind. We're so we're in Kurt's place, right behind him. Uh, there is a, an actual flyer for Luke just did in, uh, a couple weeks ago. I guess yeah. a week ago, week ago, wherever we're at. A couple weeks ago, he he did. Was is he in? Is he a member? Yeah, he was just that was the induction ceremony. Hell for yeah, Luke, which was cool. That's awesome. And we played two songs, and I played a different instrument on each one. <laughs> See, there you go. But just to, to, to further your point, yeah. Um, or to go back, yeah. Uh, so I decided it was, I picked up steel and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, so I started learning uh, solos and parts from the record and listened to the country radio because I moved to town. I didn't know anything about country music. I don't know. Like someone was like, "Oh yeah." This is a Luke Bryan song. I'm like, who's that? They're like, you don't know who Luke Bryan <laughs> I mean, is. Yeah, to be fair, same. You know, until I was in it a little bit more. Yeah. But like, I knew I knew who Doc Watson was. But um, so I was learning that and learning parts off the radio. Like I'd mm-hmm. always listen to you know big country stations. And f- how I got my first gig is kind of funny. Um, I was getting music theory lessons to Hubert Payne. Do you know him? I don't. He's a drummer. Uh, at the time, he was playing for David Nail. Okay. And, uh, but he plays for a little big town now, but he's he's a really great guy. Um, but I was giving him music theory lessons, and I knew that he was on David Nail gig. I'm like, that's so cool. And because his single at the time had Jerry Douglas on it. Oh. Yeah. And right. uh, I was like, I know they don't have a Dobro player alive. So whenever um, Hubert would come over, and I would teach him like modes, and he was really into. Um, What's that band called? I can't think of it right now. Um, like some modern jazz band that has like cool harmony. I was showing him some of that stuff. Um, I would always have like, I'd purposely leave my dobro out on the couch <laughs> and like my steel guitar and stuff. <laughs> and then later on he texts me. He's like, hey man, like 
I got a gig for you. Are, are you into it? I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. So I went, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be David Nail. And I started, like, learning David Nail songs. Right. And then he's like, all right, you'll be getting a call soon. And I was like, okay, for, like, audition or something. And I get a call from this guy named Tom, Tom Dupree, and he's like, hey, are you interested in playing for Jana Kramer? Okay. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then I had no idea who that was. So I was like, I had my phone between my shoulder and ear, and I was on the computer like Googling <laughs> who Janet Kramer was. And then I'm like, oh, I know that song. Song's on the radio all the time. And so Huber put my name in for this gig with Jana. Um, and now playing for Jana was like my first road gig, like okay. my first like major label gig. And I got that gig because she had cut this song called I Got the Boy, and she had a keyboard player who didn't want to learn – the dobro part she really wanted dobro and he's like i'm not playing dobro and then so he left or she fired him or something i don't know and then they hired me and I, i'll play that dobro part for sure all day <laughs> right and that was a huge song for her and um, it's a beautiful song um and that was my first gig and it was great what do you um <clears throat> stepping into that what do you remember the most about then like getting was it were you guys doing just promo stuff or was it full touring Oh, that, we, like when you joined that scenario, was it like were they already in zero motion? to sixty for sure? Okay, so I got a call, and the drummer and I met. He's the band leader, Tom mm-hmm. Dupree. Uh, we met like on a Monday or Tuesday, and my first show ended up being Thursday. There's no audition, <laughs> and we we went eighth and roast, and had coffee, and we talked like, hey, what do you play? Like, what do you, this and that? I ne- I barely even toured at all. And uh, so we figured out, and he said, yeah, well, we like, I got hired over someone else because I played more instruments. I can cover more stuff. Because she had tons of awesome dobro playing, like Paul Franklin played on a record. Like t- and, touches in and out of the whole record. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff on there. Mandolin, banjo, all over her stuff. And so I got the gig for that. And so he's like, okay, well, let's, we're going to, our first show's uh, Thursday. We have bus call Wednesday. It's Faster Horses. It was Faster Horses Music Festival. Mm-hmm. So it was around this time of year because didn't that just wasn't was. that didn't that just happen this like past weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that would have been five years ago, I think, four or five years ago. Cool. And um, so it was like we were opening for Tim McGraw. It was <laughs> craziest thing ever, and it was just a sea of people. It was insane, and I barely knew the tunes, and. <laughs> So I, you were, I was you were so, winging, you were winging it a little bit, a lot. I okay. had a, I was like, yeah, I could do that. And then as soon as the meeting left, and they told me I got the gig, I was in a right, and I told the girl I was writing with, I'm like, hey, I have to go now and start practicing. Like I ended up the right early, and I ended up going to Guitar Center, had to buy a bunch of cables, and I had to put my rig together, mm-hmm. learn all the tunes, and I was couldn't have been more green. It was so funny in terms of touring. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I woke up on the bus and I looked out the window and there was a guy carrying my amp. And I went, what the fuck? Like, this guy's stealing my amp. And uh, our the drummer started laughing. He goes, dude, that's a stagehand. And I was like, oh. I love <laughs> like, it. Like, I don't have to carry my own amp to the stage? She's like, no, dude. <laughs> and then he hands me an envelope with and cash there, in And it. there's money in it, yeah. And I go, <laughs> what is this? And he's like, that's your per diem. I was like, for what? And he's like, that's your like that's your money just for your day to day expenses. I'm like, for free? And he's like, 
because I guess they didn't tell me about per diem. They so, just assumed yeah, I knew, but I had right. no idea. He goes, not for free. You got to still got to play the show, idiot. I'm like, oh, okay. Kurt, Kurt I, want, I want you to know I appreciate because that's like through the eyes of a child. You just like... That's you, how I always am. But yeah. you just jumping in on that, like that makes me so happy because trying my best to like relay what what we experienced, but there that's like a genuinely amazing, like open, bright-eyed person, like... You're get, wait, somebody else is carrying my, my yeah, gear and, was, and it's you're a giving Fender me twin, money. So it's not a light amp either <laughs> at the time. Um, and then, so transition me on that. So that, that was that, was that Janice first actual major label record or was she deep? She, no, she had in? already been, we were touring in support of like her record, but she right. had already done a bunch of stuff. Like she'd already been on a Brad Paisley tour. Okay. And a bunch of other cool stuff before I got there. Like she was already like an established artist. I wasn't like I started when she was doing radio tour or anything like that. And then from so from that weekend, what how do you how did what is your life like from that green moment into now today? So like how long were you with Jana and then moving into like you know, you played for Michael Ray in the mm-hmm. timeline that I met you. So like what what did that what was that transition like? And then you know, like, uh, did were, were, do you feel like you've been able to like refine this <clears throat> auxiliary everyman role down to like things you really are the best at? Those are two questions in one. Sorry, but yeah. Um, as far as like my my personal little timeline is, mm-hmm. I played for Jana for two years and I loved it all. It was great. Um, she's awesome. The music was great. Um, we always had a great band. Always had killer musicians, and it was really fun. And um, then I met some of the Michael Ray guys, and they were his TM. Andrew was like constantly, you know, Andrew, yeah, yeah, constantly texting me, trying to get me to come play for him. And I was like, no, I'm like really happy. And then eventually they just wore me down, and then <laughs> I switched. And um, I played for Michael Ray for two years, and then until I switched with Luke. And when I was playing with Michael Ray, it was a little different because I was mainly just playing guitar. Like mm-hmm. I played steel guitar on like one song and right. set, that's about it but um yeah because he's way more it, it's it's rocking a little bit more rocking yeah than, and, and he had one less guy in the band too so michael had two guitars bass drums and Jana had two guitars bass drums and me okay so um yeah and uh then after i played for mike for a couple of years and then i started maybe not a couple years, a year and a half i think and then i started with luke in may of has it been two years ago? May of 2017, I guess? Yeah. We're past May of 2019, so it's been two years then. I feel like my years aren't adding up correctly, but something, a year and yeah. a half for each artist. Sure. About, about, yeah. yeah. Um, and then now, what in your in the current state, like what's your, what are your roles with Luke Combs? Um, well, I'm, I mainly play steel with Luke. Okay. Um, but some of my favorite moments are, you know, I still play mandolin on... His, one of his new songs, even though I'm leaving, play banjo on like a couple tunes, Outlaw Moonshine. Um, I play electric guitar on some stuff like Beer Never Broke My Heart. I play electric on. And is that that's like is that the big single right now? Yeah. Okay. And that song is so fun to play live. It seems. I think I saw. <laughs> I, I think I watched one of the like you guys did a late night, and that that's like a that's a pretty like it's upbeat ba- killer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a banger for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, his music's awesome. But so also like transitions of, of you know, like working for different people at different moments and different career moments. Like mm-hmm. how, you know, so going from, 
your first weekend of playing ever being a festival to now like you're you're work you're working for the headliner you know like you work yeah. for the headliner like what are what are some of your your more favorite like creature comforts of now well uh we have guitar techs which are that is i mean i'm getting a little teary-eyed just thinking about it because <laughs> i love these guys so much uh jamie and, and dustin they're the best and uh to, to know if like you're in the middle of the show and you're playing and something goes down, it's like they're they'll fix it so quick. I mean, they're the, it's the best. Is that a confidence builder? Oh, for, for sure, absolutely. Um, also, you know, it's like I still have people carrying my amp around. You know, like we still have stage hands. Yeah, and I get to play music for a living, so it's like the best. Um, another cre- you know creature comfort. Um, some of the things I really like are um, catering has been really great. Um, like, like I eat vegan, so when we're on the Live Nation stuff, it's like there's plenty of food to eat for yeah. me. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. So transition into that lifestyle, and it, and it can be a little bit harder on the road. Um, you know, eating a, not less traditionally, because, I mean, vegan and vegetarian lifestyle now I feel like is at least in our generation, it's more understood and like well represented in, in a health sense and in a, you know, like caring for animals and the environment, et cetera. But like when you made that decision, um, what changed in your like touring life as far as eating? Cause it, it isn't always so easy. It like, I, you know, all my vegan friends are funny where they, they're like, it's not as hard as you think. I'm like, yes. And, and no, cause when you're playing country shows and, um, grandma and grandpa cooked the meal, which this is a hundred percent true. I've been, oh we've been on gosh. festivals where it's like, yeah. yo, granny's back there. They don't really understand anything. Yeah, West from, Virginia state fair. This meatloaf is so great. Yeah. Like, is, do you have any vegetables? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, is there butter in there? And like, hell yeah, there's butter in there, mm-hmm. brother. I'm like, cool. Or, or, Hey, we made these greens, but we cooked them in, yeah, yeah. Pig, pig, you know, pig. Well, I do have to lard. say like our, um, Shout out to our tour manager, Ethan Strunk, for having, you know, we have a huge crew of, we have five buses and there's, you know, two vegans or one and a half vegans. <laughs> who's, the, so, who's the half? Uh, Zeus. Like he eats, uh, I think he eats fish or something. Okay. But um, so, you know, Ethan is like, hey, make sure like I can eat. So there's definitely been times like when I first started doing this where it's like you're playing, um, What's that venue in South Carolina? It's like Dippin' Ranch or Dippin' something. I don't know what it's called. Right. And it's like we were eating, it was like pulled pork sandwiches and french fries, that, I guess, for lunch and yeah. whatever for dinner. And it's like, well, I guess I'm eating french fries. You know, it's like, um, but I would say like 99% of the time, uh, if not more than that, you know, like Ethan takes care of me and do you have like uh go-to snacks or things you keep in <clears throat> in the bus now just just in case like do you have have you have you learned to be a little bit more conscious of like backups for yourself oh, for sure yeah um like we have like cliff bars or oreos on the bus all the time <laughs> but there you don't have like a go-to sort of thing these days yes yeah, sometimes, sometimes i keep like a frozen burrito in the freezer or something like that okay but like i said like we're doing this headline tour um and the, the the food has just been incredible. Cool. And even like after show food, like RJ, like our production assistant, is great about like he'll go to Chipotle and get me rice and beans and guac. Like I'm just like I love that. 
Right. So that's incredible. Well, it's cool that it's cool to know that you're you're taken care of. And I, you know, my role, kind of my current role, is that as production coordinator. Mm-hmm. And it's like I like to be as conscious of people's dietary kind of scenarios as possible because you know, like we're trying to keep everybody happy. You know, and it's I don't think it's that far off. To, if somebody says like, "Hey, like either I'm allergic to or I'm just not eating. This is how mm-hmm. I eat." Like you know, you try to be as attentive as possible. So it's nice to hear that they are doing that for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really, I can't say enough things, nice things about Luke's camp in general. It's just a, right now it's just a super well-oiled machine and everyone, it's great. Cool. Um, the other thing that Kurt and I pretty instantly bonded over, I can't, I still can't believe it's three summers ago. Is that right? That math's right. Yeah. It was, it was three, 16. So three summers ago, wow. it's 19, um, is coffee. Uh, Kurt is also a big, there, there he is. <laughs> Kurt is also, we're drinking coffee right now. He just made us a lovely, uh, coffee from stay golden. It's a, uh, from China, which I didn't even know we were importing coffee beans from China Neither until I. I sat down here with Kurt. So, um, any Nashville folk check out stay golden. They got a, um, a single origin coffee from China, which is rad. Um, but we bonded pretty instantly over that. We like were swapping stories. And I feel like at that point, Kurt was real. You were AeroPress guy. I know that. Cause yeah. I had like a whole crazy ass coffee rig that I would bring out with Dan and Shay and make like pour overs. And right. I have the grinder that you brought out. Isn't that what you have? Yeah. Yeah. Same one. I still haven't. Yours sounds much better and is working more efficiently than mine. Mine probably needs to yeah, be. I just, I just took it apart and cleaned it recently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we we like swapped stories and got we geeked out over coffee and Kurt would be like, come drink this. And I would just bring him coffee sometimes because, you know, they were opening that and like you guys were like, I feel like you guys were strapped for time and, and stuff some days on that one, right? We were well taken care of by Darius's people. I'm not saying that, oh, but it was more yeah, just like, great. you know, it, when you're not the headliner, there's times where like, you're like, all right, you got 10, yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes up there for like line check, sound check. Um, but with that said, so the coffee scenario, what are your, give me your favorite, give me, I'll, I'll, I'll be fair and say top three here in Nashville. And then also in our travels, what's your, you got to, what's your go-to elsewhere? You know, like what's your, your favorites in, in across America? Oh, wow. I've in Nashville. Um, like I, I go to stay golden all the time. They're literally across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're definitely up there. I think my favorite is just eighth and roast because that was my first taste of like third wave coffee. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I went and had an espresso there and it like changed, it, it changed, changed your life. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I went to the barista. I'm like, Hey man, like this is incredible. What can I buy so I can make this at my house? And he kind of laughed and he's like, dude, like this machine's $15,000. Right. <laughs> so, and I was like, Oh, okay. Well that's out of the budget. Right. <clears throat> But he's like, you should check out Aeropress. And that's he's got the it. guy that got so me into Aeropress. You, so right. That's Eighth, good to know. Ethan Rose does always have a, the number one spot in my heart in Nashville. Plus, it seems like it's um, it's got that third wave vibe, but it's not like you go to like Bruce's Parlor and it's like $1,000 for a four-ounce bag right. of coffee. Right. Yeah, I feel like uh, I've felt like Ethan Rose has always been pretty reasonable and cool to like to explain that to you because they they have a pour over bar there and they like come out and pour it in front of you which is rad like yeah. you don't always get to see that they kind of like keep it behind the counter but i haven't been there in 
a very long time. Ethan Roast. Yeah. yeah, it's rapidly changed. I feel like they went through a transition where I think maybe uh, someone internally sold a portion of their stake in it. And so it's like, it still looks the same. It still feels the same. But um, there's one in the airport. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've gone to that one more than I have any yeah, of the other yeah. ones. Yeah, I mean, it's great for us here in Nashville, like trying to, I know that there's a big expansion going on at the Nashville airport of like, they're trying to bring so much local, there's like 25 restaurant, bar, coffee things opening there over the next 18 months. Um, but it's cool that Nashville's like tried to bring some something local aside from just having a Starbucks in the airport. So Especially yeah, coffee, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what about elsewhere? Like what are your, do you have any favorite shops kind of spread out across nothing, the country? Nothing that I can um, like remember are like off the top of my head, I think. But um, I mean, do you have like an LA or New York go-to? I don't know. I usually just get off the bus and then just open like Google Maps and like whatever it looks good that's like somewhat close. Yeah. So I do, I do know that the Dan and Shay crew, like they're the guys that like scope out like mm-hmm. the spot. Like that's our thing is like this, the spot. It, it Which was is like they're the antithesis of like the Luke's guys are like we are in Australia and like the crew's like eating like McDonald's or <laughs> Mackers and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't think of any like thing that's just like really blowing my socks off. I think I can't remember like any specifics. All right. I just have a bad memory for that kind of stuff. Well, I just love that we, that was the first thing when I was going to come to talk to Kurt today. He was like, there's going to be coffee. We're going to drink coffee. And I said, yes, yeah, of course we are. We have to. Um, all right. Now we're going to get into like, I'm calling it like the speed round or the rapid fire selection where I'm, I've been asking sort of everybody these questions. Um, and the first grouping is what advice, you know, in terms of touring and where you've landed playing guitar and, you know, being a multi-instrumentalist and, you know, um, being adaptable, which is what I've heard you say now if, since we've been talking for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, what advice would you offer to yourself five years ago and 10 years ago in terms of like, I guess, getting to this point? You know, you've had success, you found a path. Um, it seems like you've you've had, whether you believed you had a vision or not, you sort of had one kind of from the start, which was you wanted to play a musician, play an instrument for a living and mm-hmm. here you are. But what advice, so like I guess post-college 10 years ago and then five years ago sort of making that transition into, you know, playing full-time. I would say for the, 10 years ago, um, which is like right when I probably graduated, I would say the one thing that I wish I had started doing sooner is really doing your homework and being okay. prepared. Um, I, there's a lot of times where I've, even like when I was playing weddings, like kind of learned a song or I kind of didn't learn a song and showed up and just faked my way through it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just, no one wants to hire those people. Don't be that guy. And, I ha- <laughs> and I've been that guy. Right. And uh, I've been lazy and I don't, you know, I don't do that anymore because no one will, no one will hire that person. Like, hey, come play this set with me and you don't learn the music. It's like, I wish you just wouldn't have showed up. You know, like, what's the point? So that's one thing I think if you're if you want to be a musician, be known as the guy that does their homework. Sure. Like, you don't have to be the best player in the world, but like if you show up knowing the material super solidly and your 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 nose isn't buried like in a chart on stage and you're able to have fun and play the songs, then like people are gonna call you. Cool. Um I'm trying to think of what else. I think maybe the last five years, um I'm you know I'm a lot older than I, five years older than I was back then. <laughs> uh, one thing, um, 
I don't know. Maybe I guess I've been. I feel like I've been more focused recently as okay. far as like my practicing things, and maybe that has to do with like maybe like less drinking and less just kind of fucking around. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on a podcast, mm-hmm. but yeah, Isaac yeah, will edit it out. No, no you're fine. And um, <laughs> uh, so like I think like that kind of stuff. Make sure you're um, just right, being like, more respectful. Well, I guess on the road and, too. Well, I guess with that, I'll. I'll interject and say do you have sort of a regimen now but like leading up to a show so like you guys made it through soundcheck and then now we're 10 minutes out to show do you have like a little um pre-show ritual if you will of like what you do in order to get ready to get on stage um well last few months i've been i always have my camera out so i always shoot the openers almost taking photos but then like half hour before we go on Mm -hmm. um uh hanging with the band and then um we always will do like a like we'll do a shot before the show kind of thing and um luke will usually give us a speech okay sometimes he makes other people do it and (laughs) i've done it and it's always just the worst i'm like let's go out there and really play the songs don't fuck up guys you know like that kind of stuff but um but he but but normally he will give some kind of like coach coach vibe inspirational oh yeah that's cool he crushes it and so does our our tour manager ethan also does it does a really often very hilarious but inspiring kind of thing cool so um and then the other the other question the big one that i always want to know is what give me your number one touring essential so now and i always exclude phone and computer and in your case now camera because those things are like sort of technology stuff yeah yeah, technology stuff so what what is your and again it can be like a personal item or it can be like a piece of gear like you can't live without but um one one thing i really enjoy ah, this is going to be kind of cheating like i bring my kindle with me um, I love having hobbies on the road. Okay. Um, so either if it's like like the camera thing, I love doing um, running shoes. Like you could always find place to run. Uh, well, I think that's a that's great. Um, sometimes you get, you know, it's like you sound check at two and then you play at ten or something, and you're in the you're in Fargo or some random place. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you gonna do? Um, I love running is great because it gives you a way to like see the town that you're in. Like you're not just in the arena all day. Mm-hmm. You're not just sitting in the green room board on your phone. Um, it always affects my mood, makes me a lot happier. Sure. And uh, work off those Oreos, I guess. So I guess <laughs> yeah. I would say, um, I feel like Kindle's kind of cheating because that's like infinite amount of books, but I'll say, I'll say running shoes. Yeah, great. Or workout clothes in general. Cool. Um, and I guess the, the final, final thing is... So far, like when I had Andrew Cook on, um, because you guys are both musicians, everyone else is sort of, they can offer up a general advice on how to find a job or a gig, but in in your, um, and I think you just did offer this advice to anybody listening that wants to sort of do what you do, but like any advice for um, anyone out there that's trying to kind of get in and play in a, a touring band or be a touring musician yeah. or kids, you know, I hope kids are listening to this that are intrigued by what, we do for a living like what's your thoughts for that like person playing an instrument in their room yeah right now? Uh, I would think if your goal is to play for someone else put yourself like in their shoes and think if you were hiring someone what would you want that person to be if you're hiring like, the perfect side guy you know if you're Luke Combs and you're hiring a guitar player like what do you want do you want a guy 
that can play the tunes really well. Yeah, of course, obviously. Right. Everyone in town plays well, but it's like maybe Luke needs BGVs. You know what I mean? Like, so learn to sing. Um, you know, like maybe you want to look good on stage. Maybe you you want to be a professional. You know, don't be a dick. Don't be, uh, I don't know, don't be a drug addict or be punctual. That kind of stuff goes a lot further than you think. It's kind of like the, kind of a boring answer, but like put yourself in their shoes, I guess, Mm -hmm. because us as musicians, we want to be paid what we deserve. But think of it as like, if you're having to pay out all this money, like these artists want to get their money's worth. So try to be that guy, like that ideal person, I guess. Cool. So a lot of people focus on like their music and their playing and stuff like that. But I've never been like, I've never like wanted to be like the Kurt Ozon band. I just really love playing music, and um, so like I like playing for other people, like playing like Luke's music, for example, or Michael's or Jana's. Um, think about like what they would want their guys in their band to be like. Cool, well, I like that. Uh, I also leave an, a little excerpt here at the end if uh, if people want to find you or tell them what what you're up to in life. Where can they uh, where can they find you now if they want to come see your lovely photos? Kurt has <clears throat> is a is a um, emerging photographer, tour photographer. <laughs> Trying. Um, maybe I'll make a tour photography book one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be fun. Um, I've had some people tell me to do that. But uh, I guess you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Kurt Ozon251. That's K-U-R-T-O-Z-A-N-251. Cool. Uh, well, Kurt, thanks for making us some coffee and providing a chill spot to do this uh, do this interview in. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. Uh, We'll catch you next time. All right. Bye. Later. Thanks so much to Kurt for being willing to sit and drink coffee and chat with me today. Um, I hope that all of you took a little something away from Kurt's thoughts on um, diversity, being the most prepared one in the room, and also playing a different instrument or doing something out of your comfort zone that somebody else maybe didn't want to do. Sometimes that might land you a gig or a job if you're just willing to go the extra mile and learn a new thing, uh, whatever that is, whatever your field may be in. In this case, it was learning, continuing to learn instruments, different instruments for Kurt. But maybe sometimes if you just look at it a little bit different and others aren't willing to, it might find you success. And so I hope that's what you took away from this one. Again, thanks for sitting down and and talking with me, Kurt. And we'll catch you next time. Oh, also, don't forget, at Notes from the Road Pod on Instagram. And this podcast is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Notes from the Road is produced and engineered by Isaac Burkhart, along with production and design by Andrew Cook. Thanks. See you next time.